Amen. Thank you, Colton. <clears throat> I never want to get tired of saying it, but uh, Pastor Daniel and Pastor Graham have led us well, and specifically Pas Pastor Graham has led us well in songs that get at the meaning of this text. In fact, I was able to brag on Graham um, to the, the Pillar Network as a whole because um, they asked for some um, Christmas resources that our church had benefited from, and I was very quick to say, oh, our worship pastor has written a wonderful album of expositional music, and I tried to get at the pillar pastors because I knew that they would uh, chomp at that, uh, that little nugget, expositional music, and Graham, you lead us so well. You have seen scripture exposed to you in song and been able to sing those truths already, and looking forward to... Um, looking at them in, in word, um, not as pretty sounding uh, this morning, but, uh, but definitely the same truths. Um, has your neighborhood been transformed into a uh, shining, um, bright place? Uh, our, ours has. Our, we enjoy decorating, so do our neighbors. Um, but have you seen the transformation because it wasn't that long ago that there, were, there was death abounding in our neighborhoods at Halloween, right? And the same neighbors that love Halloween and scary and all of that kind of stuff are now celebrating the Savior and with lights and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's just very interesting, isn't it? You know, as a community as a whole and uh, you, you know, if, if you were to not know much about America and drive through on how, uh, October 31st and then drive through in the midst of December after November, you'd think like, this is two totally different places, you know, like what, what, what is this? Um, but, but it is, we, as a culture, we can celebrate Christmas. And yes, there is a lot of cultural um, parts of that celebration of lights and Santa and elves on shelves and um, gifts and uh, different things like that that go on. But there are many who um, know uh, the real meaning of Christmas. They do. They, they know it. And in fact, they'd probably say they believe it. Um, even if you were to look at their life and maybe even look at some of our aspects of our life it would, it would seem like um, we're holding more to the cultural aspect of Christmas than we do the Christ aspect of Christmas. Um, I hope that's less true of us, at least these days, than it was of us in the past, and, and uh, less true of us compared to the rest of culture. But if you look at the culture as a whole, um, they're celebrating Christmas even with a background understanding of their belief in Christ, that Christmas ultimately really is about Christ, about Jesus coming, living amongst us uh, as, a, as a child. Um, and yet the question is, 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 does that belief then turn to love? Because last week's passage in John 14 was Jesus' encouragement to his disciples in his last hours, um, having already told them he was going to go away from them, um, speaking about the cross, speaking about his ascension to be with God, 
Um, that was a troubling thing. That was a fearful thing to, for them to be away from them. And he encourages them saying, do not be troubled, but believe in God. Uh, believe also in me. He, he encouraged them um, to do away with their, trub- the, their troubled hearts and fear by belief. But he doesn't stop there. The belief that one has in Christ, it must then result in love. And that's where Jesus goes in this passage. And that, and that is my question for us this morning. My question for our culture is, does our belief in Jesus, belief in Christ, even whom we celebrate at Christmas, does that translate, does that result then in love? Because if it doesn't result in love, I wonder if it's actually true saving faith. But if we've come to believe in Jesus as, as the Word has revealed Him to us and, and believed in who He is and what He's done for us, how could it not then result in love? And that's what Jesus gets at in, in John 14, 15 through 24. And I say 24 because this passage is so rich that I was going to attempt to get through all of what Colton read, uh, but I just, I just couldn't. I can't. And so we're stopping at verse 24. You got a glimpse of the whole passage, but it'll, be, it'll do us well to pause this week and next week to consider these really two separate passages about God's work um, specifically in speaking about His presence with us uh, this week and next week. Um, but in, in 14 through or 15 through 24, Jesus moves from commanding belief in the first 14 verses of this chapter to moving to love. Three times Jesus um, says something like, if you love me, you will obey me. Look in your Bibles, and I hope you have them open. Hopefully you've turned there. I want you to be reading these, these truths on your page of Scripture um, so that you can see them and take them home with you. But look in chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Or f- go ahead to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Or he says once more, Uh, In verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So Jesus moves from belief then to love, saying that um, if you really believe me, it will uh, result in love for me. And so those of you that know the Gospel of John or you've read through the Gospel of John recently, you might remember at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus confronts Peter. After Peter has denied him three times, Peter's belief in Jesus did not result in a sacrificial, selfless, um, suffering type love to be able to say, yes, I am with Christ and Christ is with me, being willing to die for it. And so Peter denied him three times. His belief in Jesus at that moment, did not result in love for Jesus, so he denied Jesus three times. So Jesus comes back to him in John chapter 21, and he goes straight to Peter, and he says to Peter three times, do you love me? 
And, and J- Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus three times said, then feed my sheep, tend my lambs, tend my sheep three times. And so we can see even here Jesus laying the groundwork, moving from belief to love to dispel the troubled hearts, to dispel fear in their moment on that evening in our lives. Uh, We have to go from just uh, belief in our minds to love in our hearts uh, that, that translates in itself into following and obeying Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And he's already given them that command. That command was given in chapter 13 in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so I, I want us to be encouraged this morning to go beyond mere intellectual belief in Jesus. Uh, that is definitely where it starts, but that belief, if saving belief, will result in love for God and obedience to His commands. And so here's my sentence for you this morning. This overarching truth from this passage is this. The presence and promises of the triune God are our only hope as we aim to faithfully love Christ and keep His commands. I'm going to ask they'll keep that on the screen for a little bit so that you can get that down because the rest of it is just my best guess at it. (laughs) Uh, My outline is not big in detail. My outline is not uh, super intellectual um, because it is like uh, just a, a mix of wonderful truths all wrapped up in this, in this one passage. But I think that sentence gets at it pretty well. The presence and the promises of the triune God, both God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there are only hope as we aim to faithfully love Christ and keep His commands in this world. Um, I say that, it, that my outline struggled. I think I literally have five different types of outlines and notes, and I didn't land on any of them. And in the end, I'm giving you the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. And that's what we're sticking with. I'm going to leave it up to you to write out some of the truths that are pointed out in the Scripture and are helpful for you. Um, but each of this entire passage It it highlights the Holy Spirit, but it really does highlight the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Their presence with us uh, and their promises to us of of what they're um, going to do to help us. And so this this is Jesus giving encouragement to these troubled, fearful disciples in light of the fact that he was going away from them. And so while we may not find ourselves in the, in the same circumstances that these disciples find themselves in, we find ourselves in troubling circumstances in, the, in this life while Jesus is away from us. 
And the good news that Jesus has for them is that he is God with them. And this is helpful for us to remember at Christmas, isn't it? For we already sang multiple songs that already got uh, at the idea of God being with us. The name and title, Emmanuel, from Isaiah chapter 7, 14, that, that one would come and be born of a virgin and that they should call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. It, it's, a, a, it's a good truth. It's a good reminder that we uh, remember this Christmas, every Christmas season, that God is with us. And this passage gets at the idea that Yes, Jesus is Emmanuel. And he did leave heaven and come to earth, being born of a virgin, being a child with a sinless nature. And we're to celebrate that. And to celebrate it at Christmas is good and right. Emmanuel, God with us. But God the Father is also with us um, in the person and work of Christ. And God the Spirit is with us dwelling in our hearts and for those of you maybe like me that you really need detailed notes and you really need all the like this is killing me and it's maybe killing you as well and rather than being frustrated and troubled about trying to get notes about this text my hope uh, is that you will just be okay with it and just step back and just be in awe because the Trinity, it really is one of those unexplainable, mysterious um, things about God that should cause us to worship Him, not cause us to be frustrated and figure it out as humanity with finite minds trying to understand an infinite divinity. We can't. And so just sit back, relax, and enjoy uh, the truth of this triune God that really is our only hope uh, as we aim to faithfully love Christ and keep his command. So the, the short notes I do have for you are this. The promise and presence of the Spirit in uh, verses 15 through 17. I already pointed this out, but want to say it again. Jesus repeating himself here for the first time, if you love me, you will keep my commands. This is not a if-then kind of like, uh, if you do this, then uh, I will help you do this. This is a promise in one sense. Those who love me are those who obey my commands. This is how the world will know that we are his disciples if we obey his command and his command was to love one another. And so see this as, as a sort of promise, as a sort of declaration that those who uh, love me are those who obey my commands. Now sure, um, there are some who obey God's commands and they try their hardest. Um, but they actually don't love God. This would be descriptive of the Pharisees in Jesus' time. This would be descriptive of those who are living in a works-based 
salvation model, attempting to earn God's salvation. They're doing all the do's and not doing all the don'ts, but there's no love there. And you can do your, you can try, you can't do it perfectly, you can try to do all the do's and not do the don'ts and not have love. But you can't have love for Christ and not do the do's, if you will. If you love Christ, you will also, imperfectly, but in faith, because of your love, be obeying everything that He has commanded you, especially to love Him and to love others. John, the writer of this gospel, when he writes a letter uh, to the church in 1 John, Chapter 5, verse 2 through 3, he brings this same idea that Jesus gave to him this night. He passes this on to the early church. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. You see, if you're trying to just obey the commands and do the do's and don't do the don'ts it's burdensome is it not we were all there if you're if you're a christian who's been saved by grace through faith not by works so that no man may boast you know what it was like to try to earn god's love through works how burdensome it was and how often you fell short and how it never really brought peace and hope But when you came to realize that Christ alone offers you salvation by His grace through your simple faith that itself is even a gift, you realize that it's a joy to obey God. It's not a burden. It's a joy to obey Him, to follow Him, to love Him. And, And this is where the change came. What's different? The difference is that Christ has entered into you and given you new life and you look at those commands not as burdensome anymore to try to earn something you realize they can't earn you anything you realize they're an act of worship a a way in which you can show your love to Christ for having loved you and died for you and been raised for you so that you could have eternal life and so this declaration is one that Jesus continues to repeat um, both uh, showing us where we're to find our hope, uh, how we're to drive away the, that, those troubled hearts, how we're to drive away that fear by believing in Jesus with a belief and trust that results in love. And love results in following Him, obeying Him, worshiping Him in all of our life. But, but that in and of itself could be burdensome for these disciples if those priorities uh, are, are not set straight. And, and so Jesus gives even more encouragement, promises uh, of his presence to be with them, both in the Spirit, in the Son, and in the Father. And so we see these verses in 16 and 17 describing more promises of the, the Spirit and the Spirit's presence with us. 
So Jesus promises, I promise, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That that essentially means that Jesus has been their helper up to this point, physically present with them. And yet he said to them, I'm going away from you. And so it was encouragement to them that evening to be able to hear that that when I ultimately go away and I ascend to go be with the Heavenly Father, I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father where, where the Scriptures would also tell us in Romans 8 that He's interceding on our behalf. Jesus will, in that place of glory, be asking the Father to send the Holy Spirit to be with these disciples and to be with all believers who have believed, who have loved, who are following Him. He'll give them the Holy Spirit to help them love one another and to obey these commands. And this word for helper here is is a good one. It's one that's repeated in our passage. It's uh, the Greek word paraclete. Uh, that really means to call alongside one. It's a, a compound word. Para meaning alongside and kaleo, which means to call out. And so it's the one who's called alongside us. And it really uh, is hard to describe with just one English word because it gets at so many ideas of this one who's called alongside us, who, yes, helps us, comforts us, um, but in, in this language really gets at the idea of an advocate, one who's standing in, in, uh, alongside us in, our, in the gap for us in a courtroom situation. And the Holy Spirit, uh, in these words that Jesus is, is saying, I'm going away But I'm going to ask the Father, and He's going to send you another helper, one who will be alongside you. And so note this promise of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, And look at the encouragement to be with you forever. That's encouragement to them because Jesus had been with them for three years, but had told them, I'm going away from you. And they're saying, okay, Jesus is saying up to that point, I'm going to send you another helper. Okay, is this going to be another three-year helper? Is this going to be another short-term helper? Well, Jesus says, no, forever. Forever. I'm going to send you one who will be with you, to be alongside you. And he describes him in verse 17, even the spirit of truth. This is a good description of the Holy Spirit, especially coming on the heels of Jesus saying in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so when Jesus says, I'm the truth and I'm I'm your helper now, but I'm going to go away and I'm going to send you another helper, he's not sending one who's any different than him. He's sending them the very spirit of truth the very Spirit of Christ Himself, to reveal truth. And so we have to be careful, um, church, Christian, in our day and age when so many people uh, want to um, 
in, in some way abandon this entire book and just live by the Spirit and do whatever the Spirit leads us to do and, and not realize that whatever the Spirit leads you to do is going to be in line with the truth of God's Word. You cannot take what the Spirit is leading you to do apart from what the truth of God because the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And this is important for us to remember when others uh, who call themselves Christians may even be Christians and, and just not understand that are divorcing the, the Spirit from the truth of God's Word and say, I, I don't want to be restricted by those do's and those don'ts. I want to be led by the Spirit. I feel the Spirit leading me to do this. Well, what about the clear teaching of the truth that says don't do this? And do this. We, we can't divorce those two things. And so Jesus even describes that the, the Helper, the Spirit whom He is sending, the very Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of truth. And He, he puts in, in each of these passages, another thing that we see repeated in each of these is that this is a, a gift for those who do believe and whose belief results in love and love results in obedience These are promises of the presence of this triune God for believers. Um, But the world cannot receive these things. These promises are not true of them. Jesus says it this way in verse 17, "...even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, I I could go on just to say they don't believe in Him, they don't love Him, therefore they don't obey Him. But he says, you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Now this is something that I was wrestling with this week, even just thinking about the chronology of the presence and the work of the Spirit in the life of Jesus, among the disciples, and then later as we consider in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit is given as God's gift to His disciples at Pentecost in Acts 2. So how are we to understand that this Spirit um, dwells with you and will be in you? And I'm sure there's a lot more that I don't fully understand that could be said of this, but I think One of the most helpful ways to understand this would be that, yes, the Holy Spirit dwells with them because the Holy Spirit is with Christ. It was actually uh, visibly, um, it was visible to them at Jesus' baptism, descending like a dove there at, at, uh, at his baptism when God the Father spoke audibly at that moment saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. And so the Spirit has been with them. It's been with and on and in Christ uh, and, and yet not as a gift to each of these disciples as it would be in Acts 2. But Jesus promises that it will be in you. This is a future promise of something that was going to be given to them in the future. There was a a day ahead of them, um, some 50 days from now, 
where the Holy Spirit would be given to them and at that point would be in them. Which is why Jesus in John chapter 20 later um, promises to send the disciples out into the world to proclaim the gospel. And he tells them uh, in that moment, it says that he breathes in deeply and breathes out deeply and he says to them, receive the Spirit. Not as if that was happening in that moment, but when it was to happen, Jesus is giving this command to receive it when it was given. To receive the Holy Spirit when he would be given to them in in Acts chapter 2. And so these disciples have been around the work of the Holy Spirit as they've been around the person of Jesus Christ. And they were given this future promise that the Holy Spirit was going to be given to them uh, at a future date, at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, 50 days from now. But it's evident that the Spirit wasn't given to them in this moment, in this speaking, um, because we see the the disciples not acting in a way that Uh, would be evident of the Spirit's work in their life. Peter continued to act fearful. Uh, His heart was troubled. Um, They were doubting over and over and over. But there there would be a day when they would receive this promise to receive the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And that was to be encouragement to them. That in their belief of who Jesus was to love Jesus and to love Jesus by obeying his commands Uh, and his new commandment his greatest commandment was to love him and to love others but it doesn't stop there Jesus continues not only describing the the promise and the presence of the spirit but he describes the promise and the presence of himself the son in verse 18 through 21. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Again, encouragement following uh, him telling them that he was about to go away from them. Having been with them for three years, now they're feeling as if they're orphans, that they've been abandoned by Jesus. But Jesus saying, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Uh, He goes on and says, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Because of verse 19, it seems as if, though Jesus could be speaking uh, of this ultimate going away in the ascension, Um, and him sending the Holy Spirit, it seems as if when Jesus says, because I live and you also live, what Jesus is really referencing here is is hope and encouragement in the resurrection. Jesus was about to go away and, and physically be arrested and crucified and would die on the cross as the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. And so it would be easy for them to think in that moment that their Savior 
had died, that all hope was gone. Um, who would then s- go and ask the Father for another helper to be sent if Jesus was dead and buried? But Jesus encourages them, I'm about to go away, but I will not leave you as orphans. I will come again to you. And I think that's speaking of the resurrection because of what Jesus says, because I live, you also will live. So Jesus encourages them, not just with this future hope of another helper that was to come in an undisclosed uh, day and time, even remember, think about Jesus' ascension. They're staring up in, into the sky. Jesus is leaving them, going away. And the angels say to the, what are you staring at? What are you waiting? Go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift that he's told you would come. Um, but even more short, short term than that, Jesus is giving these disciples a promise of his resurrection. He wouldn't leave them as orphans. In a little while, he says, that the world, again, here's that differentiation, um, that the world would no longer see him any longer. And that was, it seems to be somewhat true from the historical account that we have in the Gospels, that Jesus was crucified before all men, was taken down from the cross by some of his followers, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, buried in the tomb, but the appearances that are described by the gospel writers after this seem to be all his believers, his disciples, his followers, even to a large crowd on a, on a hillside. Um, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, there were some 500 at that time. It seems like those were all of his followers at that point. And so there is a sense in which Um, that the world saw him crucified and buried, but that was it. Um, I'm sure he was seen by those who didn't believe him in in one sense, walking the streets, but but Jesus' appearance uh, was for the most part intentionally given to his disciples. And so Jesus says, but you will see me. And what encouragement as Jesus is about to be what seems like taken from them, but Jesus says, no one takes me. I give my life. Um, That's encouragement for them. You will see me again. I won't just send you another helper. You'll see me again. And he goes on in verse 20 and says, and in that day, you will know that I am in the Father. Uh, I am in my Father and you in me and I in you, that having the Spirit of Christ in them united them with this triune God in an unexplainable, mysterious way that should cause us not to figure out exactly how it works, but just to be in awe and thankful that this triune God, creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, would reside, who resided in Christ, would reside also in us. What a gift. What a blessing. What a privilege. What a help. Uh, what a hope for us as we await Christ's second return in the midst of troubling, fearful circumstances. 
that we have the promise of Christ and the presence of Christ in the very uh, person of the Holy Spirit that unites us with the Father and the Son in an unexplainable way. And so Jesus repeats himself in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me, listen, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And so you can see again how the Holy Spirit, uh, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son are all wrap, are all distinct. They're all named distinctly, and yet they're all wrapped into one in their in their um, their work uh, and their their presence and help to us there. But he who is lo- who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I will disclose myself to them. And I, I think this is both an encouragement to these disciples on that night as Jesus was about to be arrested and crucified. It gave them encouragement that Jesus would manifest himself, disclose himself, appear to them again, that even though he was taken from them, they would see him again. But I think because of the work of the Holy Spirit in the the book of Acts, this gift of God and Christ to all believers, uh, we can say that Jesus himself has manifested himself to us in the person of the Holy Spirit as well. And so there's been times uh, on, on a different topic, and this has happened recently. I've been in a meeting. I've been at lunch, um, YMCA lunch even, and as the token pastor in the room, what often happens is uh, I get asked to pray. Uh, off the cuff, whatever. And I was asked recently, hey, Brian, would you bless the food? And I jokingly but kindly responded, actually, I can't bless the food, but I'd be glad to ask God to bless this food and thank him for this, this gift to us. Just wanting you to know, there, it, maybe you think that from a priest or you think that from some other, but as a pastor, there's no blessing from me to you. I'm going to ask this, you know, vertically, but horizontally, nothing's happening. I'm no good to you. Um, But I'm going to ask the Lord, uh, tell him thanks and bless the food. In the same way, um, when, Christian, it would be more right for us to pray, um, not, Lord, please be with us, but to say, God, thank you for being with us. For this is his promise. We, we don't have to invite him, as so many often do, trying to invite a, another work of the Holy Spirit, uh, to invite added work or special work. Christ has already promised his manifest presence to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And We don't have to invite him in. We don't have to ask for a a special revelation of him in one way or or another. We can rest in the promise and uh, the promise of God's presence with us 
in the person of the Holy Spirit. What a, what a treasure. What a gift. Christian, it's not about us asking for more. It's about us enjoying the promise and the presence that's already given to us. And so let that be a challenge to us as we consider what it looks like this Christmas season to not be troubled, to not be fearful, and to instead believe with a belief that that results in love and love that results in obedience and following Him. Let us believe this promise of God's presence with us at all times, uh, morning, noon, or night. Let us Remember these promises of God's presence with us, Christ's presence with us, the Spirit's presence with us. Uh, when good times or bad, let us rest on those promises. Let us have hope as we try to love Christ by obeying Him. This is good news for us. This is helpful to us as we press on in our day and age. But he doesn't stop there. Um, We've highlighted up to this point in John 13 through 17, uh, which is called the Upper Room Discourse, Jesus' last words to his disciples before he's crucified. We have highlighted several different reactions by the disciples up to this point. When Jesus said, I'm going away from you, uh, Peter said, no, I'm going with you. Uh, I, I, he wasn't going to let it happen. I'll even go and die with you. Um, Thomas was unsure uh, about things. Philip questioned how this was actually going to happen. Well, now we get another reaction. In verse 27, Judas, although not Iscariot, John wants us to know, we could have assumed that because Judas was told by Jesus to leave the room and to go and do what he was going to do quickly back in John 13. So Judas Iscariot is no longer with them, but sadly named Judas here uh, says to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How are you... How are you going to do that? How are you going to show up, disclose yourself to us, but not to the world? And I, I think there is an aspect that Jesus did that in his appearances, appearing to the women, appearing to the disciples in the locked room where they were fearful of others getting in, Jesus appearing to followers of his on the road to Emmaus, Jesus appearing to his followers in a large group, as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians. But I also think that uh, Jesus is going to manifest himself by, uh, as he says in this section, by dwelling with his people. Jesus answered him. Verse 23. And again, here he repeats himself. If anyone loves me, He will keep my word. And here Jesus doesn't speak so much of commandments, but here he uses the word uh, that John used to describe him in the opening verses of the Gospel of John. 
in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus is using that Word to, to describe uh, a summary of all of His words. If anyone loves me, he will keep my Word. He will keep the Word's Word, if you will. And as a result, my Father will love him. And we, Jesus says, God the Father and God the Son, who's already been described as manifesting himself to them, he says, so also will God the Father, we will come to him and we'll make our home with him. Jesus promising them the presence of God the Father dwelling with them. And so it is, yes, confusing and right to say that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit dwell with us. It's biblically accurate and and right to say it. Um, It's also biblically right to say that Jesus gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. How those things are intertwined and yet distinct, please do not ask me. Put that on you your list of questions to ask God when you get to heaven and maybe in glory, we will, uh, without this sinful nature, have a better ability to be able to understand a truth like that there, though not infinitely, still finitely, for we won't become God when we get there. But put that on your list and we'll worship all the more. Uh, as, as I think we ought to worship all the more this morning in, in light of this truth. But again, Jesus closes with this differentiation between those who have believed and whose belief has resulted in love and whose love for the Lord always does result in obedience and following Him. John or Jesus differentiates between those and those who have not believed those who do not love. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. He doesn't believe Jesus is the word. Therefore, why would he love the word? Why would he then obey the word? And so it's clear that that the world does not. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus assuring these disciples, these aren't just my words, but these are the Father's words. That's a good uh, way for me and any other preacher to to be able to say, uh, these are my words. This this book, these are God's words. I'm going to do my best to, to teach and explain and and to give understanding to God's words through my words. But what Jesus is doing here is saying, my words have authority. God has given me all authority. And these words are from him in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we sit back after chewing on uh, some of these really deep truths, but also not only are they deep, they're very surface level in in the fact that they they help us on the surface. They're practical to encourage us and to give us hope this Christmas season, these troubling days, these fearful nights. Uh, They're encouraging to us. 
And they ought to spur us on to worship. They ought to spur us on to faith that leads to love and love that leads to obedience. Because those things that Jesus has commanded us to do when, when we have believed, when we have loved, when we have come to know this triune God and His promises and His presence in this way, how could those commandments be burdensome? They could only be um, done in joy. They could only be done in worship. Uh, so I do hope there's encouragement. I do, at the same time, hope that there is a, a, a differentiation here between those of us who were here and simply needed a teaching or even just a reminder of the teaching of God's promises to us and God's presence with us. Some of us needed that this morning. As we gathered together with the church, knowing we were going to hear God's Word and sing God's Word and pray for one another and be loved by one another here among the church, we needed that. But I hope there's a differentiation between some of you who have come into this place and you say, I've never trusted in that Christ. I've never believed in Christ. I've never trusted in Christ in that way. I've never, I've definitely never experienced the presence of God in my life like you just described or like Christ just described. Those of us who have repented of our sins and trusted Christ, we know what it was like for the words of Christ to become go from being burdensome to not burdensome and to be a joy. But if to you obeying Christ is still a burden, I wonder if you've trusted Christ with saving faith and realized that He and He alone obeyed all of the words of God for you and then He died for you in your place. And He rose from the dead and He was given life so that as Jesus said, you could live too. And in believing, you would live. And in living, you would love. And in loving, you would joyfully worship and obey Him all of the days of your life. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't know the promises uh, and the presence of this triune God as your own this morning, trust Him today. Do what Jesus commanded the disciples four times in John 14, believe. And as a result of your belief, love. And as a result of that love, obey. And find joy in doing so until he returns. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these truths, these promises that you have given to us in your word. Father, I thank you for your very presence with us as you have said that you d will dwell with us and make your home with us. What a gift. What a gift to consider the privilege that Adam and Eve had in the garden that was lost because of their sin is now uh, partially a reality for us even now as we await Christ's return, God, you making your home with us. Jesus, I thank you for making all of this possible through your death, well, really through your birth. 
through your sinless life, through your sacrificial and substitutionary death on the cross, through your victorious resurrection, um, Lord Jesus, through your ascension to the right hand of the Father and your promise to return, Jesus, the promises are good and true. And your presence is with us because uh, of who you are and what you've done for us. And so we thank you for your presence here in this place. And Spirit, we pause to praise you and thank you for revealing to us the truth of uh, the Word of God in the person of the Son of God by the power of Uh, of the Spirit of God. Spirit, thank you for your presence with us as you come alongside us to help us. Jesus, may we, as your bride, the church here at the Fields Church, and any Christian who's joined with us this morning, um, be reminded and be encouraged by these truths this morning. Spirit, I pray that if there's one who's here who has yet to trust in Christ, to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that they this morning, as Spirit, you reveal the truth to them, uh, that they would believe in Christ and that, God, you would make your home with them this morning and that they would walk in faith in a love that results in obeying and following you with joy all the days of their life. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have your way in us, both individually and as a church, as we are, like you, Christ, sent out to be the church in the world. Help us uh, to live at peace and to live in the power of the Holy Spirit as we proclaim the good news to the world around us this Christmas. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, let's stand and let's worship this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as only He is due. Let's stand and praise.